Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague Joe Healy, and we are here to preview week 14 of college baseball. Uh, We are coming to you a week early because this is the end of the regular season for almost every conference, and as a result, most of these leagues uh, start things up on a Thursday, run them Thursday to Saturday to... uh, you know, clear things, uh, clear, clear the path a little bit for the, the conference tournaments to start in the middle of the week next week. Uh, so a lot of stuff happening on Thursday. Uh, so make sure to make sure everyone's ready for that. We're uh, we're coming at you with the podcast a day early as well, and it is a busy week of the final regular, uh, a busy final week of the regular season for for most of these uh, most of these teams. So we've got a lot to get into today. It is a uh, absolutely loaded slate in the ACC of the seven series. Uh, six of them have pretty significant postseason implications, and you can make a case that all seven do. Um, we're going to talk about Oregon State and UCLA out on the West Coast, big time uh, Pac-12 title implications in that one. Uh, big 12 title race coming down to Texas Tech and Oklahoma's series in Lubbock. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll talk some about the West Coast Conference maybe some Ivy League, uh, some American. Uh, we got a lot on the plate today. We got some news to get to. So, Joe, it's uh, it's a we are in the middle of May, and this is what happens. This is this is the time when everything is happening and everything feels so important. And, uh, you know, everything is, is still on the table for all of these teams uh, because everyone's jockeying for position in the conference tournament and, and everyone's hoping that they can make a run in, into regionals. Yeah, it seems like there's a sometimes the last weekend of the regular season can kind of be a little bit of a, a letdown is is maybe a little harsh, but there's a sometimes the last week in the regular season, what you get are some of your biggest series are kind of between two teams whose fates are kind of already sealed. You know, it's two two good teams that are clearly hosts and like, yes, maybe there's like a top eight to play for or maybe something like that. But ultimately, those are two teams that are going to be playing at home in regionals or two teams that are clearly two seeds that are kind of out of the, you know, the hosting mix playing each other. And it's like, okay, great. These are series between two good teams, but like, what does it mean? Really? We don't have a lot of that. This, this final weekend of the regular season. So that's, that's good. There's reasons to tune into some of the best stuff. Whereas sometimes it can kind of feel a little bit like let's, let's get on with it already. Like let's get these conference tournaments going. So uh, this is a nice uh, change of pace from that where you're right. I mean, there's, there's a lot, some of these series, if they didn't have the conference title implications might have been a little bit like that. Uh, but, but certainly we have still have plenty to play for, um, you know, and, and a lot of stuff that we frankly won't have time to cover in this episode that is impactful things like, you know, the, the, the race to get into conference tournaments, the bottom of some of these conferences, you know, Cal and Utah played. Are we weekend. not deep diving the bottom of the, the, the big 10? 
Well, that, that was one, although, you know, as I say this, I'm like writing down a couple of like things I may have like forgotten to talk about, like in, when we talk about like under the radar things, but because maybe we will talk about some of the bottom of these conference races, but yeah, I mean, the big 10 bottom of the big 10 conference has been a melee this year. And so that's going to, you know, some teams are going to get left out and be disappointed about that. And there are going to be some teams that get into the big 10 tournament that are going to be really thrilled to be there, you know, and, uh, bottom of the the Pac-12 tournament race is, is interesting. Uh, the Missouri Valley conference, I did a, you know, I know this just because I did a a video call with the MVC earlier this week that literally every spot in the entire conference pecking order is undecided. And most teams have a three spot swing at least for where they can finish. So stuff like that, we're just not really going to have time to cover, but it, it feels like every league has stuff like that going on. And I think, you know, in a lot of case, a lot of cases, it's a byproduct of, what we've seen this year of, you know, we just don't have, you know, Tennessee and Oregon state to some degree. And other than that, we just, we don't have a lot of dominance in college baseball, which has left a lot unsettled, even with only in most cases, three regular season games left. I want to touch on the field of 64 projections that went live, like literally right before we started recording this and just how little is settled in that from a hosting perspective, there are a lot of teams that have locked up bids effectively, but Okay, so Tennessee is going to host, Oregon State's going to host, Virginia Tech's going to host, and those three are all clear-cut top eight seeds. Uh, Stanford, and then I I think that's the the end of the clear-cut top eight seeds. Like, you can make cases for more. Like, Stanford, A&M, sure seem like they're trending that way, but, like, there are cases against them as well. Um, Like, there are three top eight seeds that I would say are locked in. There are, eh, like, eight, nine hosts that are locked in probably but there is so much still to be decided here and there is so much confusing about the hosting race because of what happened in the big 12 largely last weekend um and to a certain extent what happened in Fayetteville. the the texas tech hosting case is bananas weird um you know they have an rpi north of 30 still this weekend presuming that they win the games and they have to win the games they don't win the games it, it's a non-issue. But if they win the games this weekend, that RPI will improve, but they're still going to go to Arlington with an RPI north of what you would typically expect of a Big 12 host. Arkansas this weekend has a chance to you know, you know, win some games, help push that RPI in the right direction. But this is a team that's tied for the SEC West title and or the SEC West division lead right now, and it has an RPI north of 25. Like that's not a host in the SEC typically, but they could win like, 20 sec games with relative ease if you throw in hoover i mean they could do it this weekend too with the sweep but if you throw in hoover this is a team i expect to win 20 sec games how is that not a host how is that not a top eight seed because this year is weird and so we're just gonna have to just live with some weirdness in these hosts or like either there's going to be weirdness in terms of what rpi some of these hosts are what some of these top eight seeds even are or you're going to look at it and be like, why did this team that won 20 SEC games not get a top eight or a, or a host spot? Like it, things, something has to give here. And there's going, this is going to be a year where things just don't line up as neatly as, as we want. And yeah, I mean, that, that goes to your larger point, Joe, that this year outside of Tennessee, outside of Oregon State, there just hasn't been a whole lot of consistent excellence in college baseball. I'm actually kind of looking forward to that type of scenario playing out just because I think it's, it's healthy for 
the sport, I think to have like these kind of lively discussions around the postseason, And, um, I, I don't think it's, it's, you know, the discussion itself is not what's going to make or break in college baseball. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, I think it's good that the postseason committee like has to kind of work through these exercises and, it, and it's a different committee year to year. So I never want to lose sight of that. And I've actually been on the record as saying that I like the fact that what gets you in as a host or what gets you in as a, as a regional team is kind of a moving target. I know that drives coaches nuts because I think coaches want, and I would want that too. If I were a coach, by the way, they want to know what's the formula, you know, like what's the RPI number, what's the conference record. What's, you know, they just want to know what their targets are. I would too. I get it. But from my standpoint, I actually like that. It's a little bit of a moving target because it does give us some uncertainty going down the stretch. And this one, this does provide like a unique situation and it's, it's, they're going, the committee is going to have to make tough choices in a way that it often doesn't. I mean, there are times where, you know, 15 of the top, you know, 17 RPI team or 16 of the top 17 RPI teams are hosting and we don't have a lot of gripes about it, you know, like, cause it's like, well, those were clearly the, you know, the 15 best teams and the 17th RPI team happened to be better than the 16th RPI team. So that's what we're going to do. And that's, we just move on. Like this year is not going to be like that, uh, barring something unforeseen and things really firming up the next couple of weeks. It's not going to be like that. And I think that's good. I think it's, it's interesting. Like it, it's, it's again, forcing the committee to have to make decisions about what they value in a way that sometimes they can just look at the RPI and I'll stop short of calling it lazy. Cause I don't think it's that. I just think it's convenient sometimes being able to just kind of look at the RPI and go boom, 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 and lay them out top 16. Not going to have that luxury this year. They are going to have to take a stance on what they value. And it'll just be interesting to see, you know, how that kind of carries through how they pick the 64 teams and, and what kind of field we end up with. Yeah, that's uh, an intriguing point as well, because uh, there are two teams that we've consistently kept in the projections uh, over the last few weeks, despite very bad RPIs traditionally, and that's Iowa and UCLA. And um, Iowa we're really hanging on to because they're the third best team in the Big Ten, and the Big Ten hasn't gotten less than three bids in a long time, and that included last year, and they really reached RPI-wise and like Yes, RPI was meaningless last year for the Big Ten. I said that a million times, but it didn't seem like anyone really took that seriously. Um, so I think they just were willing to reach for the third best team in the Big Ten a year ago. I expect that they will again. And then the other one is UCLA. And UCLA is one of the weirder resumes out there, and we can get into them more. But there are two teams that just don't fit the RPI parameters on the bubble. And so if we're already kind of saying like, well, here's some hosts that don't make RPI sense, I don't, then it, it probably will become easier for them to say, well, here are some teams that don't make RPI sense that we're putting in the tournament. So uh, yeah, as, as you look at these projections right now, I want them to be firm. I want them to, to be so much closer to where they are. Uh, but right now I just feel like I, I hate, I hate my projections. <laughs> I have no idea. Like I don't, it would be fine if it happened that way, but like, I just, I, I have no confidence in, uh, in what I've thrown out there this week, uh, really with the exception of, you know, like I said, the, those few teams that, that are kind of locked into to top eight or, or hosting and there just aren't many of them. Uh, okay. Joe, we had one coaching change this week. Um, the, the carousel is getting active faster than normal. Uh, Tulane this week, dismissed Travis Jewett, uh, who had been the Green Waves coach for six years. Uh, he came 
came to, to Tulane uh, in the summer of 2016 uh, when David Pierce was hired away by Texas. Uh, Tulane last made the NCAA tournament in Pierce's final season there in New Orleans. Uh, Tulane has come close at various times in 2020. They were off to a great start. Obviously, that didn't come to fruition for obvious reasons. Um, they've produced some solid pro talent. Cody Hosey was a first-round pick in 2019. Hudson Haskin was a second-round pick in 2020. Uh, so, so there, there had been some positive things happening there. Um, they've won 30 games a, a few times there. It just They weren't in regionals. And uh, now there's, there's a change. And this is uh, the second time this season that something completely on the field has led to an in-season change. Um, you know, Tulane and, and Austin P both making in-season changes. It's just not something we see much of in college baseball. Typically um, you would normally expect just that they would do that when, when the season ended, but in neither case did they wait. And uh, you know, we've seen, that kind of aggressive in-season changes happening in, in football and basketball lately. And now maybe some of that aggressiveness is, is coming into, into baseball, which makes me wonder what other aggressive uh, hiring and firing tactics that we've seen from football and basketball in recent years are also coming to baseball if uh, ADs are, are starting to take this sport uh, I want to say more seriously, but just treating it kind of the same way that they're treating those sports and everyone's just treating every hiring and firing decision in college athletics right now more aggressively than, than what we were used to. But uh, that that's a discussion for another day. Uh, Joe, Tulane making this change. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts? It's a bottom line business and ultimately no postseasons in, in six years, five tournaments, of course, taking 2020 out of the mix, but no tournaments in, in five attempts and at a place like Tulane, that's just not going to be seen as good enough. And I think you, what you alluded to is right that they felt pretty close. I mean, 2019, I think it was a second or third place finish last year. It was a second or third place finish in the conference. Um, they never made the championship game of the AAC tournament in none of those years where they were pretty good, where they really ever in the bubble discussion when it was all said and done, they've been, they were on the bubble at certain points of each of those years but they never seem to finish on the bubble. Like they always seem to have kind of, these... including this year, like a month ago, right. I kept trying to force Tulane into this. And Joe kept saying, no, they're probably, it's probably not going to happen for them. And Joe turns out to have been right. But like they spent a, a fair amount of time this year looking like the second best team in the American. Yeah. They just, they always seem to have like little missteps on the field, like right at the most inopportune times, right. When you, people start to believe in them. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bottom line business and, you know, it kind of is what it is. And I, I don't think th this one did not surprise me um, not having the context of the behind the scenes stuff and, and all that kind of stuff, but just not performance wise, it didn't surprise me. And Tulane's in, in an interesting spot. I mean, we'll have more on, on this job opening in, in the coming days, but um, what it was at the turn of the century is not coming back. And one, one of the longest standing, like this would be a good idea to write about this ideas that Teddy and I have had that who knows if we'll ever really be able to, to get down on paper because it's a really abstract idea is just, can you be a program from outside the traditional power structure in college baseball and kind of be a year in year out Omaha type team? Now, 
depending on how you want to define that, maybe a school like East Carolina is, has has proven you can do that in some cases. But the point being, although notably never made Omaha, correct? Yes, that is that is the. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny how that is, but um, just that, that atmosphere of college baseball around the turn of the century, where you could be that kind of program, and there are multiple examples. Rice is is obviously probably the biggest one because they won a national title. Um, and we're in that mix literally every single year for, for so long, but Tulane was there too. Omaha in 01 and 05, um, number one in the country for most of the 2005 regular season. That's not coming back to Tulane. And I think most people understand that even the most ardent Tulane supporters kind of understand the atmosphere in college baseball is just different now. However, it's two regionals in the last 14 years, and they were both David Pierce's years in new Orleans. Um, so I think the two, what Tulane baseball is kind of exists between those two polarities, you know, like they're not a team that should expect to be in contention for Omaha year after year and have the kind of run they had in 2001 and 2005. On the other hand, they should probably expect to be in the mix for regionals more often than they have been. And so the job exists kind of somewhere in between those two things. They're in a pretty good area for talent, not just Louisiana, but if you're in New Orleans, you can go get Texas kids pretty easily. The best Tulane teams typically have had plenty of kids from Houston, for example. Um, they've got a good, pretty good facility. It's not what it once was in the pecking order of college baseball facilities, but it is still a very good facility. There's a lot going for this job. I think there's going to be some some really good names that come up in this coaching search. I think they're going to get a good coach. It's we forget now, but Travis Jewett was that kind of name in college coaching circles when he got this job. So that's the kind of name they can get again. We'll have to see how it kind of ends up playing out, but um, you know, it's, it's a program that should um, I I say should like, it's hard to know what program deserves or should have, but it's a program you would have expected to be in the postseason more often than it has been. And that's how they are where they are very interested to see what Tulane is in the new American um you know there a lot a lot is changing about that conference right as as Cincinnati UCF and, and Houston head for head for the big 12 um you know ECU is still there and in baseball that that's what really matters here but you know is uh is Tulane able to kind of establish itself as the second program in that league uh now with one fewer Florida program and without Houston hanging out there uh, to the West. I, it, I am, it, it is, it's a changing league. And so I'm, I'm very interested to see where Tulane is in the new, in the new American, um, quickly three names that immediately come to mind with significant Tulane connections here. Jake Gotro at Mississippi state, uh, was the interim head coach when Rick Jones got sick and like, ultimately like that led to, to his retirement, uh, Jake Gotro was the interim head coach for about two months. Uh, so that is going to be like the number one name here and deservedly so, but also Jake Gotro is maybe the best, the SEC assistant coach most ready to take on being a head coach. So, and he's in Starkville, like he's getting paid a lot of money in Starkville. He's, he's in a really good spot. Like, is he going to hear his alma mater's call and go? I don't know. Um, but that's that's probably where this all is going to start. Sean Allen, uh, the Texas uh, recruiting coordinator slash pitching coach, also very much ready to become a head coach. And he was there the last time Tulane made the NCAA tournament. He knows what it takes to win in, at Tulane. Uh, and then Matt Reiser, uh, the Southeastern Louisiana head coach, uh, was on that 2005 team at Tulane that went to Omaha. He 
is still one of the younger coaches in uh, in the country, despite the fact he's been a head coach for nearly a decade now. And uh, he's had a lot of success at Southeastern. Uh, maybe this is the right time for him to, to move up. And again, maybe his alma mater is the right spot for that. So those are three instant, like two lane connections, like understand what it takes to win at two lane, understand what it takes to win in that part of the country. Um, so if, if they could get any of those three guys, I think they would be in a great spot. And, um, you know, we'll, we will see where, uh, where Tulane goes from here. Also this week, uh, we published our list of the top or the 50 best names in college baseball. Itchy Burtz, the legend Itchy Burtz uh, from Texas A&M Corpus Christi graduated last year. So there's a new number one on this list. And Joe, we, we had quite a decision to make between Zebulon Vermillion of Arkansas and Dub Gleed of UC Irvine. Yeah, uh, Zeb, kind of the uh, legacy choice here. He's been on this list a number of times. He's been top five. I think the last three years was number three, at least last year, maybe even the year before. Kind of the, the like I said, the legacy choice. Dub Gleed, the newcomer, a freshman. And, you know, ultimately we, we, we go Dub Gleed. Um, the combination of it being, uh, it is a little bit reminiscent of Itchy Burt's in that like it's kind of a, like not a, um, I mean, all these are non-traditional names. They wouldn't be on the list, but you know, just a, I don't know anyone else named dub and it's a, I'm assuming some sort of nickname, but again, per I, I believe his, it is, it is a nickname. I believe his real name is William, but mm. our rules are, if this is the way they roster you, that's right. That's good enough for us. Like, so if, you know, they roster him as William, but everyone calls him dub, not good enough. He is willing, though, to go on the roster by Dub. Everyone right. that announces a UC Irvine game has to call him Dub. And if that's what he's willing to do, then we uh, we, we have to go with with that. I'm not I'm not here to police what your real name is versus that's what right. your roster name <laughs> that's is. That's right. Like on, on, a, on, a, on a really base level, it's just that Teddy and I don't really have the like bandwidth to like really investigate which of these guys like because <laughs> some some put their like full name on their roster page like if you scroll down to like this the bottom of the each person's like entry of their bio some people some teams don't some do like we just we don't really have the time to litigate that and i, I wouldn't want to even if we did so you know we just have the rule of whatever you are on the roster is what we're going to call you and that's how we're going to consider it so dub gleed it is Although if he would, if you, I will admit here that Zebulon Vermillion, I may be suffering in, we, we talk about prospect fatigue sometimes oh, when we're making right. lists like top 100 lists or, or draft lists or whatever. You just heard about the guy so much. You're like, okay, I get it. But like, I also like, I'm kind of over this. I want the new thing. And, uh, you know, I will admit that maybe we suffered from a little bit of prospect fatigue with Zebulon Vermillion. I mean, he has been in college. I believe this is his, uh, his fifth year. And uh, so he will go out as, you know, a consistent top three guy here. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe we were swayed by the the bright, shiny new thing that was Dub Gleed. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, I think there's something to that. I think it also plays a role that Zebulon Vermillion plays. Speaking of roles, like is a, a guy for Arkansas, like he's one of their more trusted arms. And so like, yeah, I hear we, that name a lot. <laughs> right, exactly. We hear that name a lot. We've kind of just gotten, you know, whereas, you know, because UC Irvine has not been as relevant as they thought they'd be this year. And it's the big West. We just don't hear dub lead as often or Boone Fay, for example, for number three, Nevada, um, number three name on the list uh, from Nevada. So what if Nevada was the number three team though? Oh my, what a world that would be <laughs> like, look, I would love to go see a game in Reno. Like that's, that's one of a, you know, a few parks like 
Utah's like this. BYU is like this. If you, if you're into mountainscapes, like Reno is a pretty good one. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would be here for if Nevada was the number number three team in the country. One of the things that I'm uh, committed to doing on this list, by the way, moving forward is that, you know, look, Doug lead is a freshman. And so like one of the responsibilities we have here, I think is to reevaluate the list year after year. And like, look, peek behind the curtain, like Teddy and I are not really litigating too much. Like who's 34 <laughs> and who is 43. Like, I'll be honest with you. However, in the top five, we I'll say do, top 10, we do put some weight behind it a little bit. I mean, we move Vinny Baloney up, you know, from, from Fresno state um, because we got a lot of feedback that he got robbed in previous lists. So Vinny Bologna moves up into the top 10. So like we do some of that stuff. So like, I am committed to the idea that like, just because Doug lead is number one this year and he's a freshman, like he doesn't just have a right to that spot. So, you know, I am committed to, to kind of reopening every year, the discussion about number one, uh, itchy deserved it every year, but you know, we did have itchy birds be the champion of this four years in a row. And so, um, it would be easy for that to be the case with Doug lead, but we'll, um, we'll have to see. Um, exactly. And, you know, I mean, look, uh, he could, uh, he could decide to change the name too. I mean, that that's, uh, that's always possible. And at that that's point true. we would, he would no longer be Doug Glead. Yeah. So we'll, uh, yeah, this is not his spot for the next four years just because he was number one this year. So that's right. I think that's a good point by you, Joe. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, did you just real quick, is there someone in like, um, I don't know. I don't do Revy Higgins, the third. Okay, there you go. I was gonna say, is there like a yeah? You you did mention that one. I like um. I mean, he's in the top ten, so like I can't really State, complain. Uh, Revy Higgins. Yeah, he's in the top ten, so I can't complain too much about this one. But I like Sebastian Mexico from Fordham because, you know how like in um in Parks and Rec, uh, Chris Pratt's character has like um, when he does his like investigative work, he goes by a um he goes by a like a pseudonym. And what is it? Are you familiar with Parks and Rec? I am, but I'm forgetting his pseudonym. I can't. E- I can't either. Uh, the the listeners are uh, uh, Bert Macklin. Yeah, that's it. Bert Macklin. So like you know how like he goes by Bert Macklin when he's doing like his investigative work and he puts on that FBI jacket. Sebastian Mexico feels like a name someone would give themselves when they do something else, like do something like that. Like they're going undercover for something. Like oh, my name is Sebastian Mexico. Well, so the thing that I think of, and this is very unfortunate to Sebastian and literally everyone else with the surname of Mexico, but. Didn't Mike Fick go by Ron Mexico? Like, didn't he try and like use a fake name of Ron Mexico at one point to like? Uh, he did, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was that was there was weed involved, as I recall, and a water bottle. Like, <laughs> yeah, he would go. That was like, yeah. He, I mean, I think he like checked into hotels under Ron Mexico. Like, he checked into like, uh, you know, like doctors' offices as, as Ron Mexico to try to like keep medical stuff, like keep people from knowing he was going certain places. Yeah, to get treatment. Like, yes, I, I think it was just his go-to. Uh, yeah. So apologies to Sebastian Mexico. Cause it is just his name. Um, but yes, that, I think that story, by the way, uh, the Ron Mexico story is what launched, um, the Will Leach version of Deadspin. Like, I think it was one of their original like scoops back in the way back in the day. Well, if he wants to relaunch it, I'm, uh, I'm open to that. Cause this current version is, uh, it's not cutting it. It's not it. Yeah. Will Leach moving on to bigger and better things. He's out here writing novels now. So he's, uh, he's got other things, other irons in the fire. <laughs> there's hope for us all yet all right so if you want to see the full top 50 
uh, it's over at baseballamerica.com. And I would encourage it because it's a fun list. Like this is all just meant to be fun. These are fun names. This is a fun part of college baseball that you can have a dude named Itchy Burtz that like leads the Southland in hitting. And that Zebulon Vermillion is a trusted reliever, like the go-to reliever for Arkansas for multiple years. Like we are, we are having fun here and uh, hopefully you can have some fun reading that list as well. Uh, all right, let's dive into um, our week 14 preview here, Joe. And we're going to do that. <laughs> I, I kind of hate starting here, but we're going to start back in the Big 12. We spent a lot of time on this uh, on Monday, so apologies because we probably are going to re- go over some of the same ground. But uh, it is a big deal. And, uh, you know, I want to spend, I want to have a meatier discussion about the ACC. So I think it's just easiest to start here with the Big 12, uh, with uh, Oklahoma traveling to Texas Tech. The Big 12 title is on the line, though it does not necessarily have to go to either of these teams. TCU, you'll recall, is in the clubhouse at 16 and 8. Um, They are winning the, the league right now. With a sweep, either Texas Tech or Oklahoma would win the Big 12 uh, over TCU. Texas Tech would do it um, outright. Oklahoma would do it by virtue of tiebreakers. Uh, and that's regardless of anything that happens, even if we get into a three, three-team tie with Oklahoma State somehow, uh, all of that still remains true. Uh, and if Texas Tech just wins this series, it would, it would tie with TCU. TCU would win the title by virtue of their, their sweep of Texas Tech. So again, Tech needs a sweep. Oklahoma needs a sweep. Otherwise, TCU uh, wins this thing. Uh, but Tech would, or, or, or Oklahoma could, you know, uh, uh, ha- have a share of a title some other ways. But in terms of being the number one seed in Arlington next week, that's uh, that's what Tech, that's what Oklahoma needs to do. And TCU is, is playing Santa Clara this weekend and probably doing a, a fair amount of scoreboard watching. So that is the lay of the land here in Lubbock, Joe. Uh, quite the... Uh, quite the final weekend here in big 12 play. Yeah, no doubt. It came, I mean, it came down to what we kind of expected where TCU is in the clubhouse and, and we didn't know if they'd be leading it or just behind and, and we're hoping for losses or what have you. Um, but they, they are ahead. They have gone into the clubhouse a couple, couple strokes up to continue the, uh, the golf analogy. Um, and I, what would we do if golf didn't have that thing? There would be nothing. There's nothing yeah, there like really. That. Yeah. <laughs> that's the phrase you use every time, you know, like, I don't, yeah, that's, I really don't know. I guess, I guess partially because like, it's really one of the only games you play that way where, you know, you're kind of just, you're not competing against, or you're competing against other people, but it's not like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we would have always... to like stretch for like tour de France, like time trial, like <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Metaphor yeah. somehow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this has played out kind of exactly how we knew it could, at least, in, in terms of the the high drama here. And so uh it is made for a most interesting final weekend. And I I I mean, if you're a betting man, the bet is that they pull this off because I it's gonna it's hard to imagine, and we say this as tech just got done sweeping Oklahoma State in Stillwater, but it's hard to imagine especially with so much to play for both of these teams. Like it's hard to imagine one team sweeping the other here. Tech being at home obviously is, is extremely helpful, but it's Oklahoma's for the most part, just been playing so well lately. I mean, they took a weird loss to Wichita state over the weekend with, or uh, in the midweek, which really torpedoed their chances of like an outside outside chance to host. If they play well in Arlington, like those days are probably done now, but 
Um, with so much to play for, though, it's hard to imagine one team really just running away with this series. And like I said, Oklahoma has been playing playing pretty well lately. Um, you know, having won, let's see, one, two, three, four, four straight Big 12 series going back to really early April against Oklahoma State, having lost that series. So um, swinging the bats really well. And that's the thing, too, is that these teams are kind of trying to win games similar ways. I think these are going to be some rock fight games as the series goes on. Um, so now Oklahoma sweeping this thing is the most shocking result. I can see tech sweeping it. I just can't imagine it with both teams playing well, so much to play for all that stuff mixed in. Um, if I were a betting man, I'd have TCU just kind of pulling this thing out by the skin of their teeth and by virtue of, you know, tech winning two of three. I think that's a reasonable expectation. I also think that that would that's kind of the projection I baked into the field of 64 projection this week. And I think that just by virtue of sharing the title, um, being able to say that, even though like I won't call them the big 12 champions, only there's, there's one true champion guys. They, they played on the field and TC swept that series. But I think that might be enough to say like, Hey, we did it. Uh, we should host and we should maybe host pretty well. Like I, I, I envision that happening. Uh, for tech, particularly if they play decently well in Arlington. Um, the the Oklahoma Sooners are an interesting bunch right now. They didn't just lose to Wichita, they got boat raced. It was 18 to nothing on Monday. And look, I, I am sure they were just kind of over that game pretty early on and uh, very focused on what was happening this weekend and, and all the rest of it. But that, I mean, that Wichita State team's not that good. Um, and that, that was just a jarring loss on, on Monday for the Sooners. And I'm sure they've been able to put it behind them by now, but like also, uh, it does show what maybe the underside of the Oklahoma pitching staff looks like. So they're going to need their starters, their, their main guys to step up, uh, on, on Thursday, Bennett can be really good for Oklahoma. I'm, uh, I think that can be a fun matchup with, with Morris, um, Birdsell is going to be really tough for, uh, for, for the Sooners to deal with. And if, if the, if tech is able to get the kind of pitching that they got a week ago in Stillwater, I think they realistically can sweep this series. They are going to be highly motivated to do it. They're playing very well, but Oklahoma is a good team. This is a team that went two and two against Oklahoma state on the season. They did lose the, the series, but they went two and two against Oklahoma state on the season. Uh, they nearly won a series against Texas in Arlington, and they already beat Texas Tech once this year uh, in Amarillo. They won in the midweek 14 to nine. Now, since then, Tech has really turned things around, and Tech in the midweek is different than Tech on the weekend. But I think there's reason to believe that the Sooners will have uh, a, a good mental outlook going into this weekend and uh, facing down a must win series in Lubbock. You need to be in a good mental mindset, and, and I think they can be. Yeah, it's, it's a couple teams that really have, you mentioned, you know, tech playing. I mean, for both teams, I think they've really figured some things out down the stretch. It feels like they're different and better versions of themselves than they were in in March and, and even April. You know, Oklahoma is largely the same team that they've been. It's just that the offense is swinging the bat better than it was when you, when you and I saw them, which is when it was an offense that was really pretty stuck in the mud outside of a couple of guys. But you know, they're hitting 316 in conference play and the, the lineup is deeper. The lineup is, is better. Um, there are some guys they've gotten good contributions from that really weren't even playing much when I saw them uh, in Houston. So uh, that has been a, a good development there. The pitching is, is what it is. And, and one thing I, I kind of, one thing I'm kind of looking at and 
like they're they're Jake Bennett is their is their most reliable starter. Their most reliable pitcher in general might be Trevin Michael, who's like a multi-inning reliever. And lately they've been stretching him out a little more. He threw six innings in a game against Kansas. He's thrown three innings a couple times recently, four innings um in a recent outing. You know, I I wonder if there is a time. I don't know if it's this weekend or if it's in Arlington or if it's like, hey, surprise, he's starting game one of a regional. Um, I might be tempted to give that a shot at this point, just given that he stretched out the way he is because they're having to go to the bullpen earlier and earlier. And, you know, he is often that first guy out kind of regardless, but you know, it's a team that overall has a 5.66 team ERA in conference play. That number is 5.57, So it's, you know, it's about the same, but when you're grasping for answers like that, like that strikes me as one that is sitting out there that I'll be fascinated to see if they go that route. Although I understand it is tempting to kind of have him, in that role where you try a starter and if it doesn't work, you just go to him right away. And maybe you try to catch lightning in a bottle that whoever it is, whether it's Kate Horton or Chaz Martinez or David Sandlin or whoever, like catch lightning in a bottle, they have it that day. So I get that. Um, but I don't know that I wouldn't, wouldn't be tempted to give that a shot. That is uh that's an interesting component. And obviously to win a regional, you usually need more than three starters anyway. So that at, at some point, whether that's in Arlington next week or in a regional, I mean, you're going to see him pitch really, really important innings uh, for this team probably. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of determining when you want those, those innings to, uh, to be thrown. If you're prospect watching, uh, this is a great matchup of JC on and Peyton Graham, two of the better middle infielders in the country Uh, that, that makes a lot of things fun. Cole Stillwell though, Joe, like JC on is, is the face of this offense. He, he does a lot of things for tech, but Cole Stillwell uh, last week came up with a huge grand slam uh, in, in Stillwater. He was one of the better returning players uh, for tech this year. And it took him, it felt like a little while to really lock in, but it seems like he's going quite well now. And uh, when he hit that grand slam last week, he celebrated like before his swing was even complete. It felt like it was, it was uh, an impressive, impressive swing. I mean, Griffin Dorshin hit the, biggest home run of the of the week in, in terms of loudest and longest and all the rest of that but still well absolutely crushed that one and uh i don't know he's he's just been a fun player to watch for tech over the last two years yeah i mean you know he's he's and his numbers are right there bang on with what they were last year we knew he was going to have to be this and i think you're right i think it took him a little while to get going i feel like i remember us having that conversation a few weeks into the season that he was off to a slow start but here he is and he's you know he's one of the top guys supporting Jace Young. Um, so he, he's been a huge, huge part of it. And, you know, a guy who's just been real, real steady and, and overlooked in that lineup. And here he is again. All righty. So that's, uh, that's the big 12. Uh, everything's going to shake out this weekend in Lubbock. Um, and I know everyone in Fort Worth is going to be keeping a close eye on it. I, I think this series uh, is worth keeping a close eye on no matter, no matter where you are in the country, because it is, it could be a really fun one there between Texas tech and Oklahoma. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to get to that ACC uh, melee here in a minute. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, Joe, let's uh, let's go to the ACC now. There is an awful lot happening this weekend. There are, you know, big time top 15 type series with Miami hosting Notre Dame, Louisville hosting Virginia. There are three series with some pretty serious bubble implications, four series with pretty serious bubble implications, I should say. Clemson is hosting Boston College. I will get our full analysis of that series out of the way right now. Clemson needs a sweep. There is no other way. Uh, Boston College, though, uh, may be game for that. So we'll see. Uh, North Carolina, Wake Forest, both go into this weekend needing a a win or two. Uh, Wake Forest is at NC State. UNC is hosting Florida State. Pitt has Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is living very dangerously. Um, They only have 12 ACC wins to this point. They do have the number one strength of schedule and a bunch of really good wins. I would not be inclined to mess around if I was Georgia Tech, but you know they they might be able to withstand a series loss here. They cannot get swept. I I can say that for sure. Pitt, meanwhile, um, off the bubble more than some of the other ACC teams, but still very much in the mix. And uh, then we also have Virginia Tech and Duke, and that one really has no tournament implications. Duke's only path is to uh, win the ACC tournament. Uh, which, by the way, they're still just trying to qualify for. They right now would miss out. So they're trying to get into the ACC tournament. Virginia Tech is trying to chase down Miami for the conference title. But like I said, Virginia Tech otherwise is pretty locked in as a top eight seed. So that one has the least going on in it, but still it has conference title and conference tournament implications. So uh, everything is to play for this weekend in the ACC. So you can take this anywhere you want, except like I said, I we're done with Clemson and BC. Uh, <laughs> any of the other six series, I'm I'm open to, to talking about right now, though. Well, I guess I'll start off. I mean, it's somewhat related to Clemson and BC, and that's just that you know figuring out this kind of like knot 
of Clemson and Wake Forest and North Carolina is tough. And we kind of did it in real time yesterday when you were, you know, kind of every week you'll kind of ask me my, you know, as you start to really narrow down the field, you'll kind of throw a few conundrums at me and we'll work through them a little bit. And that's, that's really one of them because like not all of them can get in necessarily, at least on paper. And yet like, because of the way the scheduling has worked out, they could all take care of their business this weekend in theory and be in position and like chances are someone in the end gets left out. And that makes, I mean, the ACC tournament is not typically the tournament where stuff ends up mattering a lot. Part of it is the wonky format. Like we could really like relitigate conference tournament formats, which I think is like a running joke that we, we talk about that uh, all the time, but it's not really the tournament where you tend to get uh, those types of results. I don't, I'm not exactly sure why beyond the format, it just kind of is um, small number of games, I guess, as part of it. Like if you're not in the semifinals, you're playing a couple of games. That's it. Yeah, I, I think it really just all comes back to the format and the fact that, you know, there's never, there used to be a play in like when they initially there was a play in day uh, and there's no play in day anymore. Right. So uh, the, 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 or at least it's not as expansive as, as the SEC's play in day that, that, that feels like a very Tuesday in Hoover feels like a very, very big day for a lot of teams and the ACC like, okay, like we're going to, we're going to get our two games in and uh, we're going to move on. Um, and oh, by the way, like you might go one and one, everyone might go one and one in their pool and we'll, we'll just pick the highest seed to move on. I, I think it all comes back to format and the lack of, of that play in day, which, which adds an awful lot of spice to, to the going on in, uh, in Hoover. Yeah, there's always in the ACC tournament, there's always like some team gets the shaft with like they play on Tuesday and then Friday, <laughs> which yeah, I <laughs> guess it, <laughs> if you're not playing for anything, like my goodness, have it because if, if you can't, like if you're, I don't know, Georgia Tech and you play Tuesday and Friday, like you've just got to hang around Charlotte a couple of days. And if you lose that opening game, you know, you're not really playing for much. Now, I guess in Georgia Tech's case, they might be playing to stay on the right side of the bubble, but you, you get my point there. Um, so that, that kind of ends up happening. And like, like if you're a local team, like if you're North Carolina, like this thing is happening in Charlotte. Like if you got the Tuesday, Friday thing, do you go home and just come back like a couple of days later? I mean, that's a weird little anyway, um, regardless it's, it's, but this year it's going to be a tournament where things are decided because there's not like, we're not going to get, you know, 12 ACC teams into the field. Uh, so there are there are going to have to be lines drawn between these teams, and maybe it takes care of itself, right? Like Clemson doesn't sweep BC, finishes the regular season with 11 ACC wins, doesn't really do much in Charlotte. That's all she wrote. Like okay, some of this stuff will probably filter itself out, but there is a scenario where, you know, North Carolina can win a series against Florida State, Wake Forest can win a series against NC State, Clemson sweeps BC, and all of a sudden we've got a real mess. Um, and then it would make Charlotte next week really, really important. So that's kind of what I'm watching because I just, those, those teams, especially if Clemson gets that sweep are going to be so hard to kind of parse through and split hairs on. Cause that's really what you're doing because the resumes are otherwise pretty similar. It is, uh, it's challenging. And, you know, I feel like North Carolina is maybe in the best position of the group. First of all, they're home this weekend. Um, and they have, they just won the series against Wake Forest. Wake Forest lost their series to both Clemson and UNC. Like if we're really trying to parse, parse things and split hairs here, like these are the kinds of things that are, are going to end up being dissected. And, um, 
you know, Clemson is playing well right now. They're, a lot of their resume, though, comes back to their strength of schedule and their RPI, which is true for both Wake and UNC as well. Uh, but but really propping all of this up for, for Clemson is the fact that they went 5-0 and against Georgia and South Carolina. And I just don't know what kind of weight that's going to hold. It's going to hold some weight for sure. Like it, it's, it's a big part of their story uh, and it's going to hold some weight in the committee room, but I, I, I am not sure just how much weight uh, that's going to hold because it doesn't count to their ACC record. Like I, it just has to be looked at independently. Like, Oh, they did this. And like UNC has a series win against East Carolina and don't look now, but East Carolina is really good this year. <laughs> like they're not, they're not hosting good right now but uh they're that's that has aged very well and like there there are things about uh everyone's resume that, that you can point to and look good at um that's true for everyone on the bubble there are other things that you can point to and look very bad at that's just part of being a bubble team so i'm i'm curious to see how how all of that shakes out as well i uh i want to talk though a little bit about um what's going on with louisville and virginia potentially um you know one of them is going to drop much further down the seed line i think than anybody realized was was fully possible recently um both of their rpis are north of 10 they're the loser of this is going to finish like fifth in the acc probably um and like just not everyone in the acc can get jacked up into that top eight uh range and uh, you know, so I, I think there's actually a fair amount to play for this weekend for both of those teams. And especially for Louisville, you know, I, we, we talked about this a little bit going into the Virginia Tech series. They lost, uh, they've now lost back-to-back ACC series. Um, you don't want to go into the tournament having lost your final three weekends. And look, Louisville has never played particularly well in the ACC tournament. Um, I don't know, you know, who knows what will happen this year, but there, there just isn't a whole lot of time to turn momentum around if you're Louisville. And maybe that doesn't matter at all. Um, you know, I was asked on radio this morning about well, what is it, when do you want to, do you want to be playing really well right now? Do you want to be playing really well going into regionals? Like, like, what does that stuff matter? And I mean, Mississippi state, let's not forget, they got blown out in two losses in Hoover last year. They've lost to Missouri. I think on the second to last weekend of the regular season, at home, they lost a series to Missouri and they went on to win the national title. So, you know, that, none of that stuff has to matter. It could matter, but it doesn't have to matter. So I don't know. I am a little curious about how Louisville and Virginia go about the go about it this weekend. Uh, and it, by the same accord, Miami has really been slipping over the last few weeks. They got upset on Tuesday night by Gulf Coast. They've lost three in a row. They have they play really well at home. Typically, they have Notre Dame at home this weekend, uh, but I think Miami's grasp on a top eight seed is slipping. And if they don't win this weekend, they're going to have to do something at Charlotte if they want to be a top eight seed. Yeah, I think that's all, all that fair. I mean, there's a seems like a wide variance with that Miami Notre Dame series where you know maybe Miami. Well, let me just pose it to you. I guess let me put you on the spot a little bit if Miami gets swept there, do they fall? Is, is there a scenario where they fall out of hosting altogether or are they safe there? You know, I hadn't considered that. Um, but their RPI right now is, uh, is 11. They have 37 wins. I like, I feel like they have a hosting resume 
but they, it would it would be a bad impression to leave. I'll I'll say that. But I I think they probably still host. Um, they uh, Boyd's World says they need one more win to finish with the top sixteen RPI. Now that does not take into account uh, the conference tournament. So. That does tell you, though, that if they get swept, they are not assured of a, a top 16 RPI. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that's what, kind of what I mean by like a wide variance, because obviously Notre Dame gets swept. I mean, their RPI is already 15. Like they're probably in bad shape if, if that happens and really needing to make a deep run in Charlotte next week. So um, and, and I would be shy. I mean, to be very clear, like Miami does play markedly better at home. You know, that's that that is not a one year thing. That is a history of Miami baseball thing. So Notre Dame, shock, you know, uh, sweeping Miami would be a, sh- a shocking result there. Um, I would be very, very surprised if, if that were the, were the case. So yeah, I mean those those two series, um, you know, with also Louisville and Virginia, I think it's kind of what I talk about is you've got <laughs> it's 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 advantageous for us as observers how this has worked out, where the series that kind of involve the hosts and top eights are kind of clustered in the series that involve the at-large teams are, are kind of clustered separate and they're not really they're not really too uh, cross-pollinated with each other and contaminating each other so i think that makes it kind of easy to understand in small snippets um you know what um you know what's at stake there of the series like i'm, I'm i think i'm most fascinated by notre dame and miami notre dame just hasn't haven't played a really good team in a long time their their acc series was was front-loaded um, and then they didn't, they only got one game in versus Virginia tech because it was early in ACC play and the weather still sucked. And so they only got the one game in there, but they also played Louisville early. So it's been a while since they've played a team that we like know is, is, is really good. They played some decent teams since then, but no, nobody that were really convinced of being a very good team. So this'll be an interesting test because we haven't really seen that. And even against a schedule that hasn't been the strongest the last six weeks or so, They've had some stumbles, haven't always looked unbeatable. So there's that. And, and you mentioned Miami's backslide, um, you know, being at home is, is certainly helpful. And, but I think Notre Dame's a, a particularly difficult test there. I think these are teams that are built somewhat similarly in that, you know, Notre Dame leans pretty heavily on John Michael Bertrand. Like he's like far and away. They're not too dissimilar from last year. Like he is their guy on the mound. They need length from Miami obviously has Carson Palmquist. Both teams have fairly deep bullpens. They have a handful of guys they like to go to early and often like, okay, that's there. And, and both offenses are, are, are good. Not great. You know, I think I like Notre Dame's unit a little bit better, but certainly not having Nico Cavadas there has been a big difference. And we wondered if maybe, well, you know, maybe this offense is just as good. It just looks a little different. Like, no, well, in the end, I think it clearly is a step back from where they were and, and Cavadas is, is being missed and, and who wouldn't miss a bat like that. So that's a series I think that stands out as most interesting to me for, for a few different reasons, some of being schedule related and, and some just being it, it being a styles matchup of two teams that I think are trying to win pretty similar ways. Let me build on your Florida state disrespect there for a second. Um, that is the last time that the Notre Dame played a team. Uh, that's like a serious ACC contender type team was, was when they went to Tallahassee and swept Florida state, Florida state um, going to UNC uh is in a, a very interesting spot they they're 32 and 19 overall 15 and 12 in the acc their strength of schedule is six they have 15 wins against top 50 teams there's only one team in the country that has more that's tennessee surprise surprise um there are a lot of things about that resume that says host however um i think they really missed an opportunity on tuesday when they got walked off by florida state 
that would have helped the RPI number, would have really given them a boost, would have won them a series, uh, you know, a season series that would be two and one against Florida at that point. Like, I think that kind of stuff matters. Um, and uh, it would have helped their record away from home, which currently is six and 11. They could really use something this weekend in Chapel Hill. They are still in a position to play their way into hosting. If they had won on Tuesday in Gainesville, I probably was going to put them as a host uh, in this week's projection as it was. Uh, they, they could really use something this weekend. I, I think that, um, you know, those, those two headliner series are worthy of that status. I think this Florida State UNC series could be really interesting as well, though. Um, UNC is hard to beat in Chapel Hill. They're playing pretty well. They're, they're coming off of uh, a couple good series wins against Wake and NC State. Um, there's a lot to play for for both of these teams. I, I think that one uh, has my attention almost as much as, as, as the top 10 and, and, and top 15 series do. I know you uh, just, this is not for you uh, because I know you were saying it in jest and, and kind of just, uh, you know, <laughs> but just so people listening do not think there was overt Florida State disrespect there. I was qualifying. It's been a while since they played a really good team. That was the first week in April. I think that that's it really that long ago. As, yeah. First week in April, their, their first four ACC series were NC state, which, okay. You know, it's a decent team. I would not qualify that as, as very good, but then they have Louisville, Virginia tech and Florida state. Their most recent series are Clemson, Duke, Wake, BC, and Pitt. Huh. And so it has been, you know, it's been about six weeks since they played Florida State. So that, you know, that, that's where I was drawing the drawing the line there. But anyway, I know we need to move on. So please continue. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's the ACC. We'll, uh, we'll certainly have a lot to break down on Monday. Um, hopefully we get some clarity this weekend. I fear, though, Joe, we're, we're lacking on clarity. I guess before we move on quickly, Pitt, Georgia Tech, are you concerned at all about Georgia Tech? They won two games. They beat Akron and Kent State in the midweek. They were off last week. Uh, are you concerned about them going on the road to Pitt at all? Yes. <laughs> I mean, short <laughs> answer is like, <laughs> I just don't know with this Georgia Tech team, like, yeah, they're probably going to mash. Like, that's just what they do. But like, there's so much volatility with this team because you don't know what they're going to get with the arms. And like, that's been the story all year. It's just such a high volatility team because of that so yeah going going on the road to pit which like in terms of atmosphere is not going to be the toughest place to play but that's a long trip that's one of the longer trips that that georgia tech's going to have to make and you know it's it, that that's part of what makes it difficult i also think the fact that it's not it's a smaller one of the small it's a good facility but it's one of the smaller facilities in the acc that probably makes it a little bit of a weird situation for georgia tech that is used to playing in a lot of you know bigger atmospheres and bigger stadiums and all that kind of stuff sometimes sometimes when you're in an atmosphere that doesn't match what you see in the rest of the conference it can be actually a little bit jarring i think and so all those things combined with the biggest thing which is of course just that what are you going to get on the mound from them uh means yeah like they they need to go in this weekend and, and get a result and while if you made me you know if you put my feet to the fire i'd say that they, they get the result they need but man i don't i don't feel great about it yeah, that is, uh, that is really interesting. Both teams uh, with a lot to play for there. Georgia Tech, hopefully, because they were in Northeast Ohio, which is a very quick trip over to, to Pittsburgh already this week. Hopefully that's a good the, point. I forgot. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, ho hopefully the travel is not a concern for them. But we'll. Uh, this is not a team that plays well away from home. They're 8-12 and 12 away from home, and two of those wins were this week against not very good MAC teams. So we, uh, we shall see. Uh, all right, Joe, let's head out west 
Uh, and we've got in this one, UCLA and Oregon State, Pac-12 title on the line. Oregon State has a one-game lead over Stanford. Uh, they need to match or exceed what Stanford does this weekend because Stanford does hold the tiebreaker in this case. Um, Stanford is uh, is trying to trying to clip clip Oregon State here, a, a team that you know has pretty consistently been at the top of the league all year long and uh, sitting there at number two in RPI and in the the top twenty five. UCLA up and down. Um, Hard to know what to expect from them. Oregon State trying to bounce back after that tough series loss at Arizona. The Pac-12 title this year, interestingly, means probably a, it means a lot less this year than it has in the past because it does not carry the automatic bid that it, it previously has. So I'll, I'll be a little curious to see how everyone approaches this weekend. Yeah, it's I mean, it's kind of hard to say that UCLA is such a weird resume you know, with the, the RPI being what it is, it just, it feels like a regional team. Like you look at the wins and it feels like a regional team. And I think the committee's going to see that too, because I, I don't know if we said this on the podcast or not, what's really hurting UCLA is they played UC Riverside a few times and like, who knows, like that's a local series. And it, while nothing has been like some of these West coast teams are still playing, like, I mean, they generally play pretty regional, like non-conference schedules, but with, some programs, some schools still being conservative about travel because of COVID or budget or whatever it is. Like, I'm not saying any of that's the case here. I'm just saying that that might play a role in a team having to play a series like that sometimes. And so that kind of stinks. We've talked about RPI amnesty. I think that would really help this UCLA team in this case, because I really do think that's what's weighing them down. Well, it's also loss to Omaha on a Wednesday. Not helpful. Uh, the loss to Pepperdine, which uh, it's not, not helping them this year. And, uh, Lost to Harvard, lost two to USC. I mean, none of these are are things that like you would think like, oh, that's really going to mess them up. It's all of those little cuts. I think has uh, has held UCLA yeah. back. Well, I don't know what you're going to do when you know Mike Bovey and the uh, the OMAVs come to come to LA. That's just a tough. They do Omaha does like playing out there though because they they I mean they they won a game in their regional a couple of years ago. So like it actually is kind of a weird deal there. But regardless, I just don't know this UCLA team. Um, I, just playing this Oregon State series will help the RPI. So maybe that, regardless, even if they get swept, maybe they feel better about it from that standpoint. But they come in needing to just feels like at least get a game here. But it's going to be uphill sledding, even you know, even if you take the Oregon State piece out of it and what you know how motivated Oregon State might be to kind of get back on the horse and all that stuff. I mean, UCLA obviously the offense has been light all year. That that continues to be true. And the pitching staff, they're still getting it done. Obviously, Max Ratchick was awesome last weekend, and his conversion from reliever to starter has gone swimmingly and has really helped them in a, in a big, big way. Because if it hadn't gone well, I'd really kind of shudder to think of where they would be. But they've had, you know, but they've continued to kind of have some injury issues on the mound. Obviously, Thatcher Hurd was, was a big one. Gage Jump. Um, Jake Brooks has been out of the rotation the last two weeks. Um, so they, you know, they've gone back to a guy like Kelly Austin in the rotation. Who's, who's been pretty good this year. Ethan Flanagan got a start. Um, so they, they're, they're still getting it done on the mound, which just shows the impressive depth they had that we we've kind of pointed to all year. Um, th that depth has bailed them out because they, it has not been easy for them, but it does set them up for a situation where unless they get some guys back and healthy this weekend, 
it does put them in a situation where I, I just don't know if things get sideways for them on the mound and Oregon state can do that to you. I just, I don't know that they're going to have any answers if things don't go well from the, from the start. I mean, you've also seen it show up in their midweeks. Uh, they've lost a, like their last three, I think, including Tuesday to UC Irvine. And like, look, that's a, that's a good Irvine team. I, you shouldn't feel bad about that, but at the same time, like you still did, you know, lose to, to Irvine and, and that, that matters. Um, I, I think their depth has been tested. I think Oregon state has the offensive talent to test it further this weekend. Um, the concern I would have from Oregon state's perspective is a, like did, I, you know, I don't think UCLA is going to be able to follow what, what Arizona did. Arizona's offense is just much better than what the Bruins are rolling out there, but because they lost that series and because they lost to Stanford and they're now only holding this one game lead, um, Stanford is playing USC this weekend. USC has nothing to play for. I mean, like, yeah, it's a Pac-12 series, and yeah, they probably don't like Stanford, but they're they're done. Their their season is over after this weekend, um, and it's just been a tumultuous season that I'm sure they would love to just have it be over. So, what is UCLA? Are the Trojans going to be up for anything this weekend, or is um, is Oregon State going to be concerned that they? need a sweep this weekend to, to hold on to first place. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point there. I mean, it's not, as far as that goes, it's not, uh, not just totally up to, up to Oregon state. I, you know, you mentioned you, I don't want to linger on this, but like USC being last in the, I mean, I, we didn't have them projected as a regional team, but man, that's just been a real, a real struggle. And we ranked them at one point, you know, because it was a week we didn't have many choices. When, no, when they be beat fair. UCLA, it was, it yeah. was a matter of like, look, either we can drop UCLA. I think we did drop UCLA anyway, but it was like, look, they just beat UCLA. And I think UCLA at the time was like a top 10 team or something stupid like that. Like it was, they were very high. I don't mean it was stupid that we had UCLA so high. Uh, and, and USC went out and won that series. And it was like, well, I guess like they at that point had lost like one or two games was all. And I went south from there very quickly. Like the, if you're, if you're looking for a peak in the USC season, it's very easy to find. Yeah. The only other Pac-12 series they have won was against, of course, Arizona a few weeks back. So um, strange happenings all around, but, but yeah. So, you know, I think there's the thing about Oregon state is you just kind of want to see them regain the form they had, you know, and see that last week was, you know, an Arizona team that's been up and down, but is extremely talented, just kind of, just kind of beating them. And that, that can happen. So that's what you're looking for with Oregon state. And I think, I think they'll get there just because I, like I said, I'm, I'm not sure that the UCLA is going to have the firepower offensively, but also just the, the depth on the mound to deal with a game in which Oregon state really puts it on them, which they can certainly do. Yeah. And look, Tennessee did a great job last week from bouncing back from their series loss. Oregon state did it earlier this year. I mean, there's a lot of reason to believe that Oregon state can, uh, can put last week behind them and move on. Moving on is what we're going to do here. I, I, I didn't necessarily mean to cut you off the show, but that, that transition is too perfect. We're moving on. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, let's stay on the West coast and let's, uh, let's talk about Gonzaga going down to San Diego. Uh, the Zags looking to clinch the West Coast Conference title this weekend uh, in San Diego. They have a two-game lead on both the Toreros and Portland, who are tied for second place. Uh, this is a series more than the, the WCC title, which you know is frankly pretty well in, in the Zags' grasp already, uh, barring a sweep um, this weekend on the road. They, uh, they are right on the edge 
of hosting. I finally dropped them from the projected hosts this week, uh, something that had probably been coming for, for a couple of weeks now. Uh, their RPI has just slipped to a point where it, it's hard to kind of see it working out in their favor. Now, USD does have a strong RPI, and this is a chance for the Zags to put something up there. Uh, but they're down to 28 in RPI. And if you just compare them to, to say, Southern Miss, you know, let alone, you know, putting them up, in, up against Oregon or Florida State or, 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 you know, some major conference team that it's always going to be a little hard to compare those. But if you just compare them to Southern Miss, they don't compare favorably. Uh, so I finally dropped them. They need, they need a big weekend to, to get back. San Diego, meanwhile, is right there on the bubble overall. Uh, they have a decent RPI for it. They are in second place in the WCC right now, but they still have to play Gonzaga and Portland doesn't. And oh, by the way, San Diego lost to Portland earlier. So they are probably not going to finish in second place in the WCC. And I just wonder at that point, if they fall behind Portland in the standings, if their RPI takes a slight hit, over the next two weeks, if they don't win the WCC tournament, uh, what is going to happen to USD? Are they going to be one of the first teams out? And they can they can change that this weekend with a series win. But if they don't if they don't win this series, they're going to start probably a tense week uh, of ahead of Selection Monday. It's it's kind of two teams that you know it feels like we've they're in danger of kind of repeating movies that we've seen before. Right. I mean, this, this literally happened with Gonzaga last year where they were announced as one of the 20 potential host sites, uh, but missed out on being one of the final 16 because of a series loss to you guessed it. USD the last weekend of the regular season was a big part of that. So, um, so that is certainly on the table. And it's kind of weird that all season Teddy and I have been in our like top 25 calls. We've been really conservative with moving Gonzaga in part, just because it's like, they just refused to sweep series. I mean, they swept a series against Pacific early in the, the WCC campaign and then was just taking two out of three week after week, which is fine. But when you're in the WCC, you kind of have to sweep some of those series to really leave no doubt. And, you know, they're just a pitching oriented team that doesn't score a lot of runs. And so it's hard for them to sweep series because they play a lot of close games. Well, they finally sweep a series last weekend and now we're, we're bouncing them and understandably so, but it's just kind of funny how that works out. Meanwhile, you know, San Diego, I, I wrote about this early. One of my first three strikes this year, I'm, I'm going through a schedule now to figure out when it was. Um, maybe it was when they beat Grand Canyon in, in mid-March. But at some point, you know, I wrote about, you know, th this is a team that has typically finished near or at the top of the WCC. And, but it always ends up that they don't win the conference tournament and that their RPI ends up being, oftentimes it feels like, I haven't gone back and crunched the numbers in this, but it feels like their RPI always ends up being like 65 or 72 or something like that. Like not all that close to the bubble, um, but we know it's probably a good team. The numbers just weren't in favor of. So like they're in danger of being that again, they've done some good stuff in non-conference, but some of that has started to fade away. And that's, I think part of the problem here, they won three or four against Oregon. And that looked like a great series win. still pretty good. A great series win about six weeks ago. And as Oregon has faded, that has faded. Even DBU, they played three games against DBU and won one. And DBU's RPI is still good, but it's not number one in the country anymore. You know, so some of that has faded, which is part of this. You know, also USD just as a team has faded a little bit, which is part of this. So um, two teams that are kind of looking to uh, 
you know, buck the trends of the last several years. And the thing about it is that they both can't do it at least this weekend. Yeah. Somebody, somebody does have to lose. And I, I remember last week or last year, um, WCC didn't have a tournament. So this series was held the, the same weekend as conference tournaments and USD finished off the series win on Saturday. And it was like, wait, did they just, did they just play their way in by beating Gonzaga? And then like you crunched the numbers and no, it, it was, it wasn't quite that good. And I don't know. I, I, I would like to see, I'd like to see Gonzaga host. I would like to see San Diego in the tournament. Um, but I do fear that something isn't going to like, they are not going to get it done. And part of that is because they have to play each other this weekend. Alrighty, Joe, let's, uh, let's go under the radar here. All right. We've got a couple we want to bite into a little bit. So we'll do a little bit more of a speed round here. Normally I add some commentary on all of them. I will not do that for this one. So we can move through it quickly. Uh, MEAC tournament starting this week. Favorites are Delaware State and Coppin State. Four-team league this year. Interesting stuff. Teddy's written about that. You can you can find that on the site um, and in the preview. Um, Patriot League, Army and Bucknell. Uh, that is uh, actually, as I read that, that is not this weekend. That is yeah, next, it's, early it's next week. It's the middle of it's next kind of a, week. It's a weird one. Yeah, uh, that's because of finals. I talked to Jim Foster for three strikes this week. Uh, they had to move it around because of Army's finals, I believe. So uh, that would be tough. West Point finals and then trying to win the auto bid. Like, oof, that's, that's a tough little one, too. Uh, Kennesaw at Liberty, uh, two best teams in the A-Sun. Uh, K-State at WVU. I put this on here just because if WVU loses that series, like they might have to go into Arlington thinking they have to get some work done next week. We've kind of just assumed them into the field most of the season and understandably so, but like they've slid a little bit and they, you know, they have a good matchup with K-State. They're at home. They like that. But if they lose that series, it does get a little bit interesting. I alluded to this one earlier, Cal and Utah, eighth spot in the Pac-12 tournament on the line. Winner of that series is in. The loser of that series is out. Um, okay. Two bigger things here. One, Houston at East Carolina. East Carolina has already sewn up the regular season title in the American, but I bring this up just because ECU, while not being like a classic ECU team, this is not like last year's team, obviously, um, has once again dominated the American, a pretty mediocre American, but they're four games up on Houston. Um, interesting the way they've done it. You know, obviously they, before the season lost Carson Wisenhunt, uh, Jake Kuchmaner hasn't pitched in a little bit. So they've really been messing around the mound. CJ Mayhew has moved into a rotation role. Um, their two top leading pitchers in terms of uh, innings are relievers in Garrett Saylor and Carter Spivey. That's something that ECU leans on relievers a lot, but this year has been an extreme version. The other thing about them is that their offense has gotten a lot better during conference play. They're hitting 23 points higher in American conference play. So the offense has come around a little bit, even if the offense has never really replaced Connor Norby. Like it feels like that's the difference in last year's offense. And this one is it's more or less kind of the same production. There's just not a Connor Norby and he was great last year. So that's not hard to imagine. So that's one. And then I will serve up another one for Teddy and I'll just let him riff on it. Ivy league final pin and Columbia uh, first Ivy league champion will be crowned since 2019. And this is the matchup that the league wanted. I have to imagine uh, two best teams clearly all year, both 17 and four in conference Penn obviously won a series against Texas A&M earlier this season. They also swept a two gamer, which college of Charleston, who is like dominating the colonial. So good stuff on their resume. Columbia also has a pretty good RPI just from, they played a lot of games against decent teams and they won some games here and there, but they were the hottest team in college baseball going into last weekend. 
Columbia is the best offensive team in the country. Penn is the best pitching team in the country. And like neither metric is either is, is close. They are far and away the best on both ends of those. In the conference. So, uh, in the conference. Yes. To the country in the conference, boy, that'd be something. Um, <laughs> You know, best hitting team in the in the conference versus the best pitching team in the conference. So that's kind of what you want. That one should be a lot of fun. It's being played in Philadelphia because Columbia lost a series to Dartmouth last weekend while Penn swept a series. Otherwise, the series would be in New York. So well, also um, you mentioned that they, they're tied. So Penn beat Columbia. They're the only uh Ivy League right. team to to win a series against Columbia this year. So that that is the tiebreaker. That's why uh that's why Penn gets to host this one. And yes, it, it did come down to uh, Dartmouth. I guess prior to Dartmouth, Penn was the only team that that had had been Columbia, um, and uh, so yeah, Dartmouth uh, helped flip that while uh, while Penn swept Princeton. And this is a good Penn pitching staff, and if they are to win this, it's it's going to be I think on the backs of that. But I, they they can hit too. Wyatt Hensler has twelve home runs for them. He's their leading hitter, uh, but it kind of all starts with him on the mound though. Owen Cody has been so good for them, mostly in a relief role. Uh, but he's thrown 52 innings out at most, again, mostly out of the bullpen, kind of the first man out kind of deal. Joe Miller has been really good for them as well. And, and you know, th- they can throw a lot of arms at you. I think this could be a really fun weekend. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Joe, it's a, it's a nice contrast in styles. And I think that also the winner of this, this series has a chance to be a number three seed in the NCAA tournament. It's better if Penn wins, the, the chance is higher if Penn wins. Um, but because both of these teams are still in the top 65 ish in RPI, um, these are actually meaningful wins for whoever gets them in terms of, of elevating that RPI. And uh, so you might be able to see uh, an Ivy league three seed, which I'm sure it's happened before, but also maybe it hasn't. I mean, so Ivy League baseball took a couple of years off, but it's been uh, it's been outstanding this year, and I'm hoping we get a really good finish here with uh, uh, w- with this championship series. Alrighty, we covered an awful lot of ground today here on the Baseball America College Podcast. It is that time of year, so make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Hit that sub- subscribe, hit that follow button. We come at you twice a week. We will be back here on Monday talking about uh, or recapping the the weekend. uh, And then we'll come at you again sometime uh, next week, probably on Thursday of of conference tournament week uh, to get you ready for the uh, the final push towards selection Monday. There's plenty to read over at baseballamerica.com. If you want to learn more about the Patriot League or Ivy League tournaments, Joe wrote about them today in three strikes. There's a projected field of 64. Uh, There's plenty of content there and will be throughout the weekend as well. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. So yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, Make sure to subscribe, follow, read all the content. It's a great time of year. Uh, Hopefully you all are enjoying it as much as Joe and I are uh, because it is uh, it's all coming fast here. There's so much to, to, to do, to, to watch uh, and, a lot uh, just being pushed into to th- these teams' final finish uh, before uh, before the selection show there on Memorial Day. We'll be back here uh, on Monday. So thank you all for listening. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you then.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.